0: Lord, this is disappointing. Um, when we just Monday started looking at this passage for this week, um, did not have any idea that the circumstances would change like they have. Lord, our uh, city, our county, our region, our state is being devastated right now. Um, there is fear and division. There, are, there is sickness and death. There are those that are on ventilators, there are hospitals that are full, there are those that are at home and suffering, and then there are those that that are sick, but it's not that big of a deal for them. Um, Lord, we just, none of us know. We've been praying for months for you to heal our land, to heal the world, and we believe that you are, but there are things we would like to see. So Lord, I'm asking as we walk through this passage that you give me your words for your people. If there's something I plan to say that you don't want said, I don't want to say it. But if there's something you want said that I haven't thought of, make make it clear to me that it's from you and I will speak your word to your people. So stand in my shoes. Give me your thoughts. Speak with my mouth so that this is your message for us, not my message for them. I pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the spirit, for the glory of God, our father. Amen. So, yeah, I'm going to read and pause, read and pause, and then we'll finish the passage. And we'll talk a little bit about it. it. says here, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. I just going to tell you this is one of those things that you might already know, but Jews do not have to go through Samaria in fact, Jews always choose not to go through Samaria. See back in the day when God's kingdom was divided, there was Judea to the north and Israel to the south and and uh, the the Samaria became kind of a hub of much of Judah and um, but after the kingdom was reunited and, 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 and the Roman government came in. The Samaritans were seen as, I don't want to use the word that they used. Um, they were looked down upon and seen as less than human. Certainly less than God's people. Some of the words they used were like jackal or dog. Um, they they worshiped God, but kinda. They worshiped him the right way, but not. They took other religions and kind of moved them into to, to the worship of God. So Jews avoided Samaria like the plague. Uh, it was not a well-worn path to go from where Jesus was to where he wants to go. Uh, it it might have been more direct, but it was never a path that a Jewish person would take on purpose. So it said he had to go through Samaria. This tells us something right away in the scripture. It tells us that this is a divine appointment for Jesus to have and it's not, it it is for this woman and it is for her village, but it is also for us. So I encourage you to listen closely. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the pool, or near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which means it was about noon. Now, a couple of things here. Um, one, I've been to this place. I've been to Jacob's well. I've 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 seen someone drop a big bucket down in there and bring it. It's a very deep well. Uh, not a really overly impressive place. It's a beautiful surroundings. It's kind of in a valley, but um, it's just a well. It's how they used to feed their, their flocks and their herds. And it's how they used to, the women in the morning would go off that's a cultural thing back then but the women were responsible for for bringing the water to the home and for the livestock and all that kind of thing if if they were if they were more domesticated and so they would go off in the morning and they would put this bucket down in the well and it was kind of a communal gathering people would the women would gather together they would share stories they would they would talk probably prayer requests all the like um so it's odd that 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 Jesus showed up there at the sixth hour at noon. It's the time when people aren't going to be there. The other thing that I just want to ask you to notice, it says here that Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired uh, as he was from the journey. Do you ever think of Jesus as tired? I mean, we think a lot about um, Jesus fully divine and fully human, and he is, no question about it. What was not assumed, what he did not become cannot be redeemed. So he is fully divine. And he's fully human. But do you ever think of God getting tired or weary? I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we had the trunk or treat, and it was my job to be out in the parking lot lining up cars and making sure I remember which rows went, were first and second and all that kind of stuff. We had two different routes. But I stood, not in one spot, but I pretty, pretty much just stood on my feet for three hours. And then we had a, 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 a consistory meeting or an elder meeting right after that. And I sat down at, at the elders meeting, and after about an hour and a half, I stood up. And my hips hurt because I'd been standing for so long. I know that means that I'm carrying too much weight and I'm out of shape. But Jesus walked everywhere he went. But I never think of God, even in the person of Jesus, as, as someone who, who tires. But it says as tired as he was from the journey. In fact, there's something here. When God created everything order from chaos, light from darkness. And he just kept on going on the sixth day, he he made us in his own image. And then on the seventh day, God rested. Now he is omnipotent, he's all powerful. He doesn't need to slumber and he never does. But there's something to be said here that God sat and rested. And it goes on. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I just want, you probably know this, but not only were Samaritans seen as as less, way less than Jews, uh, and Jesus played on this a couple of times. If you remember when someone asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story of, of a traveler who's beaten up and robbed and left half dead and, and, and half naked as well. And that the priest came by and didn't help him. And a, a Levite came by and didn't help him. And then another a Samaritan traveler came by and he did help him. And Jesus said at the end of that story, which one of these three was his Was a neighbor to the man who was injured? And the guy who's asking the question, who is my neighbor, would not even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He said, the one who showed mercy to him. That is how, how, how awful Samaritans were seen by the Jews. And even worse was a Samaritan woman because they weren't considered just to be unclean because they're Samaritan. They're considered unclean physically, spiritually, all the time. So if a Jewish man comes in contact with a Samaritan woman, he is now declared ceremonially unclean. He needs to go through several rituals, cleansing rituals before he can be declared clean again. And it's a more lengthy ritual to go through with a Samaritan, coming in contact with a Samaritan woman than it is a Samaritan man. So here's this Jewish man interacting with a Samaritan woman who happens to be at the well at noon, very uncommon. He says, will you give me a drink? She says, Why would you even ask that? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Just so you know the context as she's hearing this, living water is water that moves. Okay, it's not stagnant water. It's not water in a pool. So it was known to be clean. Everyone that was washed uh, or cleansed at the temple had to be cleansed in living water. So she's hearing this and that it would be cooler and cleaner. And the, and the legend behind Jacob's well is there's an, under, there, there's an underground aqueduct that feeds and keeps this well clean or keeps this well full. But she said, sir, you've nothing. to." He said, I would give you living water. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw draw with and the well is deep where can you where, where, where can you get this living water are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did as did also his sons and the flocks and his flocks and herds and Jesus answered everyone who drinks the this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water i give uh, I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life now here's here's the first miss this woman has. She's a little startled by coming in contact with who we know to be the Savior. She doesn't know that yet, it's just a Jewish man. He asks her for a favor she's kind of blown away by that like i she misunderstands him, and then they have this exchange about living water, and he says. Everyone who drinks the water, I give them, it'll it'll be living water. It will grow up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't have to get thirsty, so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So here's the miss. She's having an interaction with the Savior. She doesn't know it yet. The Messiah, she doesn't know it yet. With God, with skin on, she doesn't know it yet. But she has this weird, strange, kind of awkward conversation where she's misunderstanding. He's saying something much deeper and she's still right about here. And she desires, she doesn't know it yet, but she's asking God to give her something to make her life easier. Not to change her, not to redeem her, not to transform her, but just ease my burden. And I'm gonna pause there for a second because I don't think any of us think this way. We don't believe this way in our heads, but sometimes we live our lives as if there's this transactional relationship with God. That if I do this, God will do this. If I give my money to godly things, God will bless me with more money. If I go to church or if I worship online or however it may be, if I do these things, then God, and then when God doesn't come through, when he doesn't give us what we want, when he doesn't give us what we desire, when he doesn't meet our expectation, we think God did something wrong. We've got that in reverse. If there is tra- a transactional relationship, it's not us doing well so that God blesses us. It's God blesses us so we in response bless him in return. It's he seeks us, not we seek him first. Our response to God seeking us is us seeking him in return. He's the one who initiates creation. He's the one that, that gives humanity his image. He's the one who who when the fall, when we decided not your will but mine be done at the fall and and he kicked us out. He's the one that continues to pursue us. He's the one that wants something better for us. The scripture is very clear that nobody seeks God on their own. So if anyone is seeking God it's because God is first drawing them to himself. She wants him to make her life easier and he wants even more for her. She's willing to settle and I'm scared frightened, sometimes concerned that we are willing to settle that we only want God to make our lives easier he did not come for Christians Christianity is not about Christians it's about Christ Christians are here for Christ's glory because he came for, to make us Christian not to make our lives easy so he, he knows where it is he knows what's happening he knows her and so when she goes, can you, can you? I don't want to get thirsty anymore. I don't want to have to come to this well anymore. Why? Well, he's going he's, he's gonna to draw that out. He says, go call your husband and come back. We'll, we'll talk. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. And you say you have no husband. And the fact is that you've had five husbands. And the man you're now, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, how how did he know that? Well, you could pick up that she's not one that the other women in the area like because she's at the well at noon and everybody comes right at daybreak. But if she comes at daybreak, she's the woman that the other women talk about. She's the woman that when they have daughters or sons walking with them, they keep them away from her when she comes up. She's the woman that wayward husbands want to find and faithful wives want to keep their husbands away from. There's a word I could use, but I'm not gonna do it because I know there's children around. But she is known in all the town as a promiscuous woman. So Jesus could probably figure out something because of when she's at the well. But he knows something about her that only God could know. Go call your husband. He asked the question. He's not being condemning. I don't have a husband. You know what? You're right. You don't. In fact, you've had five, and the guy you're with now isn't your husband. What you said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet, because he knew something supernaturally. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. That's the divided kingdom. But you Jews claim that the the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And then Jesus declared, and he says something quite poignant here. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship, hold on, I just lost it. We worship what we do know. For salvation comes from the Jews because Jesus came from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. So Jesus just says this very poignant thing. He's saying that where you worship the change in where you worship being the most important thing is already here it says the, the 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 worshipers my father seeks god seeks not us first he seeks those who will worship in spirit in truth what does that mean truth That the scriptures mean what they meant, that it is the revealed, it was the revelation of God. This is what God wants us to know. So if you want to know God, know his scripture, know his truth. But what does it mean to worship in spirit? Well, I think we mess this up sometimes. As pastors from the front of this church, we want community church to be a place that. We want you to feel at home here. We want this place to be about. And we know better. We're supposed to be a people that. You're at home here, because that's where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. We want us as people to be a people that. To worship in spirit is to have the spirit in you and follow his lead as you lean into what he asked for you to follow his lead to live out your faith wherever you're supposed to be, whoever you're supposed to be with, to whomever you're supposed to go. And this woman, you'll see in a minute, she becomes the first evangelist in John. It's unbelievable what God accomplishes in her in such a short amount of time. But I'm asking you to consider with all the frustrations Inconveniences, division, and illness. Pastors really want you to be here. I desperately want, I gave my life to, the, to serving God in His church because I believe that the worship, the gathering of God's people is, is, is of utmost importance. But right now, God wants us scattered. Why? I don't know, but you do. You know what he wants for you. You know what he wants from you. You you know what he's given you. You're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Yes, you may be missing what you want, but you're still in communion with the most high God. Now, he may not have done this because this is what he wants, But he has allowed it, so he must want to accomplish something through it. In all things, God works together for the good for those who trust in Christ Jesus and are called according to his purpose. In all things, even pandemics. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you, am he. Now she gets motivated and the next verse she takes off and she, the, the disciples come can't figure out really why he's hanging out with this woman. And, and she goes off and says, she tells her village, come meet the man that told me everything I ever did. Now, if there's more to the story, we don't have it, but he was able to speak truth and to hear truth from her. That's the other piece of the truth. God wants you to be real real honest, but I want, Pastor Chris puts it this way, what God did right here with her and her story is he made her mess his story. She goes back to the village, the people that do not listen to her, the people that will not hang out with her, the, 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 the women that, that whisper and murmur and, and gossip about her, the men who do not want to make eye contact with her in public because they're afraid that their wives will then know that they had one time been with her. This is the woman, she has no credibility at all in Sychar. And she goes off and she says, come meet the man that told me everything I ever did. Just minutes later, it says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the the woman's testimony. (laughs) He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Said to the woman, we no longer believe just just because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. She leaned in. She misunderstood. She was a little shocked. Then she misunderstood. Then she wanted something from him when he was asking something from her. She wanted him to make her life a little bit easier. And then he, he, he told her the truth about herself and she, or he asked her a question and she owned it. She worshiped him without knowing who he is yet in truth. She told the truth about herself. I have no husband. And he goes, yep, I know it all. That's her story, it's mess. And then he tells her who he is and she runs off, becomes the first evangelist, the first missionary. She runs off and half, it doesn't say half, I'm just, half her village comes to know Jesus because of the testimony of a woman whose life story is nothing but mess. Your mess is your story. And look, some of us, to lean into what Jesus has for us, that means quite literally, oh Lord, please give me mercy, give me comfort. We talked about that last week, mourn with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve, rejoice with those who rejoice. We found out this week that, that Lowy, second type of chemo that's not working. We don't know what the plan is next. We have 30 something people that we have names of that are either infected with or have just recently recovered from COVID in our church family. You're sitting at home. I'm preaching to an audience of camera. I know you're there. There's a couple, you didn't know, did you? (laughs) I'm inconvenienced. My daughter's a missionary, she's halfway around the world and they're gonna induce her tomorrow if she doesn't go into labor naturally, my granddaughter is gonna be born halfway around the world and I might not see her until she is walking and talking. That's an inconvenience. Can I afford to go? Yes. Can I take the time to go? Yes. Am I allowed to go? No, because the world shut down. Some of you are hurting and God has comfort to offer you through his people and himself directly. We heard time and time and time again this week that, oh, we can feel your prayers with people that are suffering in the hospital. But there's other pieces to leaning in. This woman received something great from God. She was transformed in a moment. And then she leaned in to what his mission is. And that's what God's calling us to do as well. What does it mean for you right now with COVID exploding all around our our area? What does it mean for you to lean into what Jesus has for you? Yeah, we know what some of it is. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Pray for those who persecute you. But see, there's something else going on in this chapter that I'm gonna challenge us with. The divided kingdom. Why did Jesus come? Why did he have to go to Samaria to have an interaction with this woman? Yes, but to bring the gospel of, of Jesus Christ to his people that were separated from the others. He came to a people that are much like this woman. They're supposed to be worshiping God, but they had given themselves to all kinds of other things. She had given herself to many men, they had given themselves to many gods. And he wanted them to be renewed and transformed and forgiven. And so he brought truth to them, he spoke truth to them, and they responded in kind. We live in a world right now that is very divided. You live in a nation that's very divided. You might live in a neighborhood that's very divided. There is no one, there's no worldview, there's no system, there's no body politic in all the world that will bring a divided world, a divided kingdom, a divided block together other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his people are given the task to worship him in spirit and in truth to make our mess his story and to let them know how dear they are to God, that he seeks them, that he will go where he should not go as a Jewish man, just to have interaction with a woman he should not talk to so that she will be transformed and so will her village. What might he do with you? What might he do through you? And what might he be inviting you into? I think it's worth asking the question. And I hope you have an answer. And if you don't, ask him. And if you do, but you're avoiding it, that's never gonna work. You can't outrun God. He's everywhere. Let's pray. Lord, this is frustrating. And the beauty of it is that we know that you join us in our frustration. You, when you were walking this earth, were weary from travel. But you didn't let your weariness stop you from accomplishing that, for that which your father sent you to do. You not only changed the life of a woman and made her mess her story, but you changed the life of a people that were set apart from you and, now, and then made them a part of you. Lord, we're weary and frustrated. Some of us are angry. Some of us are sick. Others are sick of being judged or judging others. We just ask you to speak truth to us and to give us the courage to speak truth back and then change us. Forgive us, change us, empower us, redeem us, and send us so that more people know how much you love them. In Jesus' name, through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father, amen.